0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the D.H. Effect, the decided heart effect. My name is Sonia, and this is my amazing co-host, Hillary. For us, we believe we find a decided heart through taking personal accountability, building high trust relationships, and finding and creating belonging. When we take action with our decided heart to create positive change around us, that is what we call the decided heart effect. Our guest today, is author Alka Joshi. Uh, oh my, and have has she created a decided heart effect? Her debut novel, The Henna Artist, became a New York Times bestseller, a Reese Witherspoon book club pick, and is being developed into a limited TV series. The sequel, The Secret Keeper of Japer, released June, 2021, will be followed by a third book in the trilogy, um, in 2023. And the stories that we're about to understand is truly powerful in so many ways. Alka, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm delighted to be here and to talk to you guys and your audience, this is fun.
1: We are so, we, we actually had a blast before we even started. I feel like we've already had some really fun conversations, but we always start by asking our guests really about their decided heart moments. What brought them to where they are now? And something really fun and unique with you is you really credit your mom for being where you are today. Tell us about how you got to be this amazing author and that, that journey. When I
2: was in my 50s, I was traveling a lot with my mother to India. Uh, we had a condo there that we could always stay in. And mom was getting a little nostalgic. She wanted to visit friends and family. And Jaipur is where a lot of our uh, extended family still lives. So that's where she wanted to go. She wanted to taste the fruit that she can never get in the United States. She wanted to connect with um, a friend of hers from high school uh, whom she had really adored and she just wanted to touch base with her again. Uh, there were so many things about her life that I was learning during these trips. And I think I had this kind of aha moment where I realized mom has had such a different life than I have had. Now, this wasn't a new revelation for me, but it was new in a different kind of way because I had always thought, uh, and I always, always said to my mother, mom, why don't you try being selfish for a change? Why don't you go after what you want in your life? Why don't you um, speak up for yourself when dad is uh, telling you, we're going to do it this way, my way or the highway? You know, why don't you speak up for yourself? I would actually get upset with her because I would think, Mommy raised me to be this way. Why are you so different? And uh, when we went to India, I could see why the pressure to be uh, more of a conventionally raised Indian woman was so great on her. There is so much familial pressure. There's so much societal pressure. And so she couldn't allow herself to be the woman that she made sure I could be. The independent woman, the woman who could think for herself, the woman who could say, no, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to marry this person. No, I don't want to uh, have this kind of life. I want this other kind of life. Uh, So I think she, uh, in a way, raised me to always have this voice. So I thought, oh, my gosh, my mom has sacrificed so much to be this uh, to let me be this person. And I think the reason that she didn't fight my dad about all the things she might have wanted in her life was because the less uh, stress they had in their relationship, the more she could ask for her children. And uh, I just realized, oh, my gosh, you know, I have so much to thank her for. That is real selflessness. What she did was real selflessness. And so um, I thought, what if I create a character uh, that gets to live the life my mother never got to live? Because I can't go back and change her life. But what if I can do that in fiction? So that's where Lakshmi was born, in my imagination. And I thought, I need to give Lakshmi some career, something that she can take outside of her marriage where she can earn her own living. And so she, Lakshmi, deserts her marriage after only two years. She goes off on her own and she takes the skill with her that she has learned from her mother-in-law about Herbal healing, and then she takes all of that knowledge uh, to the courtesans of Agra, and the courtesans teach her uh, the art of henna, and then she can use both of those skills in Jaipur to create another entirely different life for herself. So you see, it it was sort of my way of giving my mother a life that she didn't get to have, and um, you know it was so much fun to sort of imagine what my mother would have been like in 1955.
0: I, I almost feel like I want to sob. I know me so too. much like, emotion. I know
1: I have I have goosebumps. And
0: I think about <laughs> wow. about both your your mother and yourself. Mm-hmm. And sorry, this courage. I, I think about your mother and her courage yeah. to say it's I will endure that. I will keep this on so I can have that space, that emotional energy to really fuel the mm-hmm. the, the, the the things that I want my daughter to have yeah but i wonder about i wonder about her what her observations were as she was watching you fight and i don't even know if she was this is now my imagination taking over like okay. and then alka flew yes i'll Tum-tum. tell you yes.
2: so mom mom was always pushing me in these directions that i just felt were so um I just thought they were so out there because I was this combination of East and West where I was still, you know, in America coming here at the age of nine, I have been raised to be this very docile Indian girl. Uh, but then as we got here and my mother saw how much um, Uh, independence women and children had in America, she thought I could raise my daughter so differently. So then she started pushing me to be more of this independent spirit. And I actually did revolt in a way because I I thought, you know, mom is trying to live her life through me. I don't think that's exactly what she was doing. But um, for example, when we um, when I lamented that, you know, I never got invited to dances. I was always the wallflower. If I did go to a school dance, nobody would ever ask me. Um, She said, honey, let's go to Merle Norman Cosmetics, where they teach you how to put makeup on. She had never put a stitch of makeup on. So she didn't know how. So she said, I will find somebody to help you do that. And uh, so she, you know, she sort of like, had somebody else teach me how to put makeup on. And I remember thinking, I don't want all this makeup. I mean, this makes me feel, I don't know, like a whole different person. I don't like this. And I don't know why my mom's pushing me. But now I understand, you know, in retrospect, I could understand exactly what she was doing, trying to make life easier for me in this new environment, in this American environment. Another thing was that we went to uh, Lord & Taylor, uh, which is this big department store, Mm -hmm. to look for a party dress for me, because I finally did get invited to a a party. And so as we went through Lord and Taylor, I'm looking for the most conservative dress I can get. And my mother is looking at this halter top dress with like this, these little ties in the front, you know, uh, so a little bit of my midriff could show. And I was a skinny girl. So like, I had no boobs. I had no, you know, like, like, I think she was just thinking, this is going to look great on Alka. It'll make it look like she has boobs when she does. (laughs) And, and I remember thinking, why does she want me to dress like a skanky girl? Why does she want me to do this? But really all she was trying to do was say, honey, Go out there, be the best you can be, show off all of your assets. It doesn't matter what they are. Just just be proud of who you are, what you look like. Because my mom was always proud of who she was and what she looked like. Uh, When we were uh, like, you know, uh, when she was in her seventies, there was this uh, advertising call for models for mother and daughter models. And I said, mom, does this seem like something you wanna do? She said, absolutely, let's go. So she and I went to this thing and, um, you know, after we were done with our shoot, my mother raises her pant leg and says to the photographer, this really famous photographer, she says to him, she goes, look at these legs. Do they look like the legs of a 70 year old? Oh, my oh gosh, my, her spirit. I love that. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Everybody loved my mother. She was, um, you know, she, she had spunk. She really had spunk. And I think later in her life, she was able to claim more of that, yeah. uh, of that spunkiness, of that energy, of that kind of, um, you know, uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, um, you know, whatever happens in life kind of spirit, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that she really wanted for me. And um, so I think it's a result of putting her in Lakshmi's place mm-hmm. and writing this whole trilogy about this woman named Lakshmi and all the different characters around her. That's really helped me understand more of my mother and what she was trying to get me to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of surprising that it took uh, writing these stories, having my mother pass for me to really fully understand exactly what she was trying to teach me, what she was trying to inculcate in me.
1: It's I'm really anchoring right now. And what's resonating with me is this this compassion and this empathy that you're that you're having. And I'm picturing, we always talk about one of our guests, several, several guests ago was saying with an emotion, you know, you invite the emotion into tea, you have a conversation out of curiosity, and then you tell it, it can leave. And to some extent, it's like in my mind, I'm picturing you sitting down to write and inviting your mother to come in. Yeah. And, and what a beautiful ritual. I mean, just a beautiful space to create Elka. Yeah. Yeah. It's
2: been, It's been amazing because it hasn't been difficult to imagine all these scenes, all the characters, imagine Lakshmi doing the different things, saying different things. It actually wasn't difficult at all. Uh, And so I kind of feel like this was meant to be. And then get this, it took me 10 years to write The Henna Artist, right? 10 years of my literary agent, of of professors in my MFA program, of, um, you know, various editors that I've had, of my family reading various drafts of the novel and giving me uh, their suggestions. It took that much in order for me to write The Henna Artist. And I stopped so many times along the way. I stopped writing. I stopped writing after my mother died because I didn't see any point in going on. I stopped writing when my literary agent had given me, you know, after three years of suggestions that she had given me for changing uh, things about the novel or strengthening it. And I just gave up because I thought, oh, this is ridiculous, I can't do this. Then I gave up again when uh, I had these developmental editors look over my novel. And after eight years, they were still giving me 15 pages of things that, that they felt I could change in it and then I gave up again. So there were so many times that I gave up and then the book is actually in contract. It has a release date and then the pandemic hits and still nothing would stop this book from getting into the hands of readers. Don't you think that's remarkable? I, I just think that was a force that, that just would not stop. And I think so much of that is my mother's spirit.
0: Oh, I just can't. It's like your mother's like, you shall not rest, honey. You are going to make this book. And you did mention something, you know, in terms of adversity to triumph and, and yes, all this, all this work and time and pain to finally have it done. And then the pandemic hits. And we talked a little bit about this um, before we aired. Um. So yeah, any other writer would be like, okay, I can easily wait until the web, <laughs> until the pandemic ends, and then I'll just relaunch. But you decided to do something else. What was that in terms of this book will have a triumph?
2: Well, um, so I started to reach out to my social media following. And I said, you're on lockdown and I'm on lockdown. Why not talk to me about this book? I made myself so accessible. I gave out my phone number, my email, my home address. You know, people could contact me all kinds of different ways. And they did. So um, right now I am nearing my 600th book club in the next couple of weeks. I will have accomplished that. And what's really remarkable about that is it's helped me to connect with readers in a far more personal way than if I had, let's let's say, gone to a couple of bookstores. Let's say I went to even 10 bookstores and I talked to 30 or 60 people at each bookstore. It wouldn't have been the same as um, watching on my screen, you know, seven to 12 to 15 to 20 people uh, with each book club and being able to talk to each of them saying, well, what do you think of that? And, you know, oh, I see that you have this fabulous painting behind you. Tell me a little bit about that. You know, it's that personal connection to readers that I have been able to have and that I really always craved, um, that uh, I think has been a,
1: an amazing offshoot of the
2: pandemic for me. Well,
1: it really is, we, we really are, believe in belonging, right? Because that is where that oxytocin, that serano- the serotonin, the things that make us happy, they come from that sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. And to some degree, not to some degree, very much so, your book and yourself, you become this catalyst for belonging, right? You've you've read this, you experience it, and not only that, yes, you are looking at your mother's journey and what it could have been, but really there is somewhat of a cultural revolution that that is going on. We are we're experiencing it. We're in the messy middle of elevating what it does mean to claim our our power as women, and you've had a lot of experience, not just in the book and writing it. But also when you Personals. put your book out personally, and then even putting your book out, um, I know Sonia was really excited. You go ahead and take over and ask this question.
0: Well, I just, you know, um, what I've discovered is when you, you had the, the phone call, the phone call of congratulations, Alka, your book is going to be considered in the historical <laughs> fiction category. And you admitted like, oh, really? Because <sighs> that's where all the romance novels are. And yes. you didn't consider that. Um, and then you you talked about what happened after you received that phone call what 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 did happen? You know, I just thought. just thought, oh,
2: no, I don't want to be in this historical fiction category. But then I realized that in a way it allows me a platform to talk about women in a certain era and to actually uh, correct the misperceptions about how women were living and thinking during that time and also how Indians were living and thinking during that time. Um, I think that there's so much misperception in the world about uh, the country of India, Uh, what happened post-partition, what happened pre-partition, how women were perceived, how they were living. And I just thought, oh, You know, I get to be in this category where people will be looking to see, oh, what was really happening in India in 1955 and with all these different classes of women? And I get to talk about that. So uh, in a way, I feel that historical fiction is giving me um, a very powerful platform to talk about women, the power of women, the agency of women. What happens when women don't get to have agency? What happened in 1955? What happened in 1965? 69, and then with my third book, What Happens in 1974 When Women wow. Don't Get to Have Agency.
0: And I, I just have to make this quote as well. You, in, in, specific, in response to that, you said um, that the genre romance novels, like m- many of them were female authors, was to correct history by including the voices of women to include half the population that might have been left out in historical documentation. Historical novelists are completing history uh, history making history whole when I read and I still I read that out loud I hear that out loud and I think yes where where was the where is the other population and for you to take ownership of that sort of responsibility like my books do that it will make history more whole understanding in the present as well I just I just I'm so grateful that you you took that stance Well, you
2: know, and and here is sort of an offshoot of that. Uh, I've had book clubs where people have said to me, how did you come up with this woman, Lakshmi, who is doing these um, unconventional things in 1955? I said, what makes you think women like this did not exist? Mm -hmm. You know why? Because you've never read about them before. Because history did leave out their narratives. Because uh, most of history has been written by men. And most of history then, if it's written by men, will focus on the things that men are interested in. Wars, where male generals have led all of these wars. They're interested in politics, where the majority of politicians are male. They're interested in the kind of subject matter that doesn't so much deal with emotion, but that deals with action. And so what makes anybody think that women like Lakshmi who bucked convention, left their marriage, decided on a whole new way of life, what makes them think they didn't exist? It's only because they haven't read about it. So that's what I always tell people. I don't think she is uh, hugely unusual. I just think that she is a woman that we don't uh, know about just because she got left out of history.
1: We're learning her story. That's something we love to say. Who says? That's one of our favorites. Who says? This is what's going on. Who says? Right? Because whoever's telling the story, yes. the story changes.
2: Yes. Yes, and you know one other thing that I um, also have learned as I was doing the research for these stories is that the victor does get to tell the story. The victors of war get to tell the story. So what happened with uh, India during all of this time is that the British who had dominated India for 200 years got to tell the story of what they thought about Indians. They thought that because Indians wore these five yards of cloth women wearing saris, men wearing what are called dhotis. Uh, They thought that because of the style of dress in the East, which was a far, far more ancient civilization than the one the British had come from, they thought that Indians were savages. They thought they weren't very sophisticated because they were wearing these kinds of outfits. They thought the Indians weren't sophisticated because they didn't speak English before the British came along. Why should they? They didn't need to speak English. They had all of their own dialects. So one of the other things I get to do as a historical fiction novelist is I get to correct the misperceptions that people have held about Indians and India and why India was poor after the British left. It had nothing to do with what the Indians were capable of. It had more to do with how the British left India in tatters at the time that they had uh, eventually raped and pillaged all of the wealth. (laughs) And then they left. And then uh, Indians were left to decide for themselves how they were going to rebuild the country. So I want that history to be out there. And it's going out there. And every single day I hear from readers personally who say, I am learning more about India than I have ever known about India before. So not only about women in India, people are learning about my heritage. People are learning about my birth country. And this was so important to me because as an immigrant to the United States, um, I felt so ashamed of where I was from based on what Americans were replaying to me about India they thought India was this dirty, starving, illiterate country. And I thought, well, that's odd because I've always gone to private school in India. We've always had plenty to eat. Mom and dad, you know, read Life and Look magazines and the newspaper and all of that. I didn't understand what people were trying to tell me. And so what it did for for me as an immigrant is it just made me shut up about my birth culture and not... Uh, you know, let anybody know about what I thought, because, you know, as a child, when you're nine years old, you can't really say to people, well, that's not the way it is. People aren't going to listen to you as a child. And so for many, many years, I was so uncomfortable talking about India or even claiming that I was from India. I have blue gray eyes. So a lot of people don't know I'm from India. They think I'm from Brazil. They think I'm from Greece. They think I'm from Iceland. (laughs) You know, who knows what they think? But um, you know, it wasn't until I started writing about India's history and really learning for myself what that history was all about that I thought, I come from a kick-ass country. I come from a really rich heritage, and I want to talk about that. I want to let the world know about that.
0: Amazing. I mean, and and that sense of I'm I'm responsible for it. I want to be accountable for telling that story, and I I'm resonating because both of my parents came to this country, immigrant parents from the Philippines and, and Germany. And um, it was really interesting how I navigated childhood to a point where it was convenient for the other. So when people wanted to figure yes. me out, because I yes. look like Latina, you know, like I just said, well, what is, then I was starting to have this narrative of what is the most convenient for you so that, and this is a thing about, so that we can belong. Cause I wanted to belong.
2: Yes, I don't want to be an outsider,
0: does. right? And so, what sacrifices do we make in order to, to make the, that sense of belonging? And what this conversation today is about building that high trust relationship is accept is being curious, is just purely being curious about each other's experiences and stories. I mean, I know Hillary and I, I am been so enlightened about everything that you've said already. Like, I'm learning so much about like. And the main question is, what is more that I don't know? Mm -hmm. And that is enough. That is enough to be like, I want to lean into Mm -hmm. Alka and say, show me the way, reveal what that experience is like. So I can't help but really hook on to that sense of belonging in terms of, do we have to sacrifice a lot to do that, to to belong? Yeah. And
2: uh, I think that what you said is um, so true. I do think that no matter what group we're in, because we want to belong, because we don't want to stand out as the other, we do always, no matter what situation we're in, we're always trying to make it comfortable for the other to accept us. Uh, I think that women do that more than men. Way more than men, and I think that all of us going into the corporate world the way that I did in the nineteen eighties, I really thought, you know, I'm going into um, this very enlightened atmosphere now. Uh, nineteen eighties, surely we have we have advanced as women. We are going to go into this atmosphere and uh, you know uh, show the world what we are capable of. And I had to learn that we weren't quite there yet we're still not there. Think of the Me Too movement that just happened in Mm -hmm. 2020. I mean, we're still not exactly there. We have, we make two steps forward and then one step back, two steps forward, one step back. And that is something that I've had to learn as a woman. And I've been really frustrated by it. And I have had arguments with my bosses about why aren't I earning the same money as the guy in the office next to me? Why aren't you giving me the juicy projects that you're giving all these other guys? What about me? And then being told by people who are in higher position than I am being told that I am too ambitious, that I am asking for too much, that somehow I am not as talented as I think I am. And, you know, as a woman, When you are given those messages over and over and over, you can really get beaten down. Uh You can really get beaten down Uh, as a woman, as a minority, as, you know, whatever. uh, You can get really beaten down if you hear that message long enough. And um, luckily, I got to a point where I fought back. I got to a point where I said, you know what? I cannot fight in this box that I'm in, but I can create my own box. And that's when I started my own agency. And I thought, you know what? Here's the amount of money I need to start my own agency. Here are the freelance contacts I already have who can start working on the projects that I bring in. And here are the people I need to contact to see who is going to hire me for a project. And then I just went right to work. And within two months, I had more projects than I could handle. And within the first year, I built $400,000. And I just thought, you know what? There is no way but, but up from here uh-huh. because I have proven to myself that I can do it. I don't need anybody else to be telling me that I can't do this or I'm not talented enough. Right.
1: Dang. No, <laughs> it's, that is so powerful. And I, it's like, I want to say, say it again for the people in the back to hear, because so I, I just, I had finished reading this year, a book called, um, how women rise. And what's so interesting about listening to you and where my mind is going with it is so many of us wait for permission. Yes. Permission. Like, oh, can I take up a little bit more space? Yes. Oh, can I have the... And the thing is, is we have two responsibilities. If you are in a position of power, you need to make space. But as women, we need to take up and own our space. We need to say, we need to not shrink and be like, oh, let me make more room and make it all come. We need to say, here's where I stand. Here's who I am. Here's what I deserve. Here's my, I'm going to hold and embrace these talents and stay firm with. And that's why we need each other though, is because we need to, we need to have the support Mm -hmm. and to hold on. I mean, we do that in our business together. She'll look at me and she's like, Add another zero to that, to that figure that you just quoted because that's right. Yes,
2: exactly. And that's what I had to do. I I had to think, really, am I, am I allowed to charge this much? Well, let's see what happens if I do. (laughs) And oh, my God, you know, people are like they take you seriously uh, when you're charging a lot or, you know, and you're talking like you know what you're talking about. Yes, they will pay it. The other thing that I did, Hillary, and I think this is so important about what you just said, is I hired women Mm. in my agency because they did not get the kind of freelance work that I was bringing in. And I, I paid them well. I did not want to say, oh, you know what? Uh, I'm only going to pay you like $15 an hour because that's what women are getting paid in the marketplace. No, I thought, you know, I have to walk the walk also. And I have to talk the talk or whatever, you know, what, however that expression goes. And so I hired women Uh, to do all of my projects, Uh, I probably, you know, threw in a couple of guys in there when the women got too busy, but it was largely women. And I really loved working with women because they work twice as hard as men and they meet all their deadlines. (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) Well, you also, you also mentioned that there's three other P's, which are virtue words um, that have become your friends. Would you mind introducing your friends to us?
2: Yes. Um, So I think that in order to do
0: anything very successfully,
2: you have to have, first of all, passion, passion for it, passion for what you want to say in life, passion for what you want to do in life, how you want to leave this planet you know, you have to have some kind of a passion about that message. And then a second P is perseverance. You're not going to be successful the first time out. You're not going to be successful maybe the second time out. Do you know that a really good batting average in baseball is 0.33? That's considered a great batting average. Uh So how is it that we expect ourselves to be perfect every single time we go out into this world? We can't be perfect. But if you if we persevere we can come out with something like the henna artist after 10 years. It couldn't have happened in my 20s or 30s or 40s, but it did happen in my 60s. Um, Then the third P that I like to tell people about is patience. You have to have patience with yourself. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I have a really hard time with patience. Mm -hmm. I am not a patient person because I think I should be able to do five times what everybody else is doing. And why can't I? I'm a multitasker. I I can be on my phone and on the computer and I can be, you know, dictating something to somebody else, you know, in the room. Um, And um, it's something that I've had to learn because this project took so long. Um, And I have to thank my husband a lot for teaching me patience. My Mm -hmm. husband is a very patient person. And when I would get so frustrated, I would go, why isn't anybody telling me that this book is ready to be published? Why isn't it already out in in the marketplace yet? And he would say, you have to be patient with yourself. You're doing everything you need to be doing. There is only so much that is in your control and all the stuff that's outside of your control, whether your publisher decides to publish this, whether your agent decides to send it off to this, that, and the other publisher, those are not in your control. You need to um, just step back after you've done everything that is within your control. So I think that that is something I really had to learn. Passion, perseverance. I had two of those in spades, but patience is something that I really had to work on.
1: We call that the challenge virtue, right? We have, <laughs> we talk about, we we talk about virtues a lot and, and what are our what are our core virtues, our strength virtues? And then you always have like that little challenge one that you're working on. And eventually it becomes a strength. And then you, and then there's usually another one that is following, in, <laughs> right. right? That we have to write, but it is so amazing. I know I feel so inspired. I'm ready to Me go. Too. My brain is working a mile a minute. And so I know our listeners and watchers are going to feel absolutely the same way. How can they connect with you?
2: Oh, my goodness. It's so easy. Uh, You can connect me, uh, connect with me through email, which a lot of people do. Alka at AlkaJoshi.com. How easy is that? I have one of the easiest Indian names on the planet. (laughs) It doesn't go on for 20 letters, you know. (laughs) Um, and then of course you can contact me through my website AlkaJoshi.com, uh, where there's also my email uh, and of course you can contact me on instagram which i absolutely love because it's so visual i write visually i experience the world visually and so um, I love instagram because it's so visual i get to post pictures of my mother i get to post pictures about food and about different events that are coming up and so you can always uh, stay in touch with me that way um, one of the um, one of the most beautiful things that I think has come from Instagram are friends, which I you know that's that's like an added bonus I hadn't even thought about people who have connected with me on such a deep level that I feel like I will always be friends with them now.
0: So true. Yeah. I have to say, you know that this tool of technology you can still show up authentically. And that's what I found as well. I mean, and, and with, our, with our audience, they have become friends. And no matter what the platform is, you can really tell like, how are you showing up? And I mm-hmm. can just tell Elka, every time you show up, it's with full heart and soul. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, so I'm just, I'm so grateful. You know, honestly, I'm going to spend the next couple of months in India. I'm just right. gonna get both books. I'm just oh. <laughs> going to go. I mean, I'm j- I'm intrigued. I want to okay. learn. Um, tell me the third one. When do you think the third one's coming out? So the third one will be released in early 2023. Right. And that will be
2: right around the time that the limited series is filming in India. So hopefully I will put the third one um, to bed. I'll you know, leave it in charge with my fabulous publisher. I really have to say you guys so much of Uh, success has to deal with collaboration. You two are excellent collaborators. And then you collaborate with your um, guests and you collaborate with your audience. And I think that so much of success in life deals with collaboration my publisher mira books and my entire team there my editor um the digital media advisor my publicity team uh my um you know the vp of editorial these are all amazing women who have put all their heart and soul behind my books and and so i have put my heart and soul into pushing uh, the messages out there about the books as well. And they appreciate having a partner in an author who is doing that for them. So not only are they putting out publicity and promotion, uh, but they recognize the fact that I'm constantly out there also talking to people about these books and that kind of partnership, you know, you have to work at that, that, that takes work. And, and it's very valuable when you reach that point. So uh, when I turn uh, th- uh, the third book over to my editor and all the folks at Mira Books at Harper Collins, uh, then I'm going to go off to India and uh, start watching the filming of the Henna Artist TV series.
1: Oh, my gosh! So oh my we're gosh, adding gosh. to our bucket list <laughs> <laughs> that when that happens, we're going to fly over so that we can interview you there. Oh, yeah. that's oh. That's, that's going to go on a vision board. How does that sound?
2: <laughs> Absolutely. That sounds fantastic. By the way, the vision boards are so important when you're writing as well. If you have a vision board for what your characters might look like, you can find all kinds of images, right? On the internet that you can then paste on your vision board. You can paste buildings, you know, where your characters live. You can yeah. paste parks, uh, lakes, whatever it is that you are, uh, going to employ as a setting in your books. You can place a vision board, uh, element, uh for that. And so anytime that you have to then go describe a character, describe a setting, you just look at your vision board. And you go, ah, I know, I know how to describe that. There's like 5,000 trees right there in that park. <laughs>
1: wow. That, it, that actually is a good, it, by the way, listeners and viewers, Alka also does a writer's workshop. And so like when you connect, cause I can see that's something I can see with you already this entire time, you do invite people. Not only are you a magnetic personality and such a gracious one as well. But you are so able to, I I can see everything you're talking about. You really are. You paint the picture with everything that you say. And it's just been, this has been like the fastest time ever. I would love to just have you in our world all the time, but unfortunately we can't. But thank you so much for joining us and giving us this precious, precious time of yours.
2: You're so welcome. Now, I want to end with a picture of my mother. All right. (gasps) This is mom and she is, she is 19 years old. Uh, I think she's just had
0: her first child. So,
1: wow. model is not, oh. But her eyes, I mean, there's just, there's
0: power in her
1: eyes, right?
2: Mm -hmm. One time uh, she and I were in Amsterdam. This is like, you know, years ago, like when I was in my thirties or something, we were in Amsterdam and this man stopped on the street and he, and he said to my mother, can
0: I take a photograph of you? Because your eyes are so luminous. Uh (laughs) But There's a, there's a, you know, that there's a determination that this would like a will, a willingness that this will happen. Um, That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for sharing that. Thank
1: you for sharing her. Thank you for sharing you and thank you to the listeners for joining us again at the DH effect. We hope you found something to inspire you. I know you did. We found a million things. (laughs) How could you not? And that you take action in your life. So again, don't forget listeners and viewers out there to subscribe. Make sure not uh, just to us, but go and check in on Alka as well, right? (laughs) Um, We're at YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Instagram, Facebook, all the, all the platforms, all the places. And until next time, may you find the courage to live with a decided heart anchored by identity, trust, and belonging.